What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another hostile Q and A. This is make sure the mic is on. This is episode number seven of my Q and A's, and I have set a timer to an hour. So we're going to do an hour worth of questions. I never know when to stop, so this was probably the best way to do it. We'll set an hour's worth. I'll try and get through as many of the questions that I've picked out as I can, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So let's get to it. Start the timer. And we're off. First question comes from Vince CPT. Says, Greg Doucette says you don't need to be in a surplus to gain muscle. What's your thought on that, he says. And he also says, is one gram per pound of body weight really enough? So uh, I'm going to assume you're talking about uh, somebody trying to gain a maximal amount of muscle. And... Brad Schoenfeld is a PhD who's done numerous studies or at least has cited numerous studies on the fact that you gain the most amount of muscle in the 1.5 grams per pound uh, range. And even without those studies, I'll tell you myself, I've tried doing a gram. Even with excess carbs and fats, one gram doesn't seem to cut it the way a gram and a half does. And when I'm dieting, sometimes I'll, I'll go all the way up to two, two grams and you can feel the difference. So I don't think one gram is enough. Uh, now, according to, uh, and on to the Greg Doucette question, how big is Greg Doucette? I mean, I don't know. He competes as a 212, I think. And he's not a big 212, I don't think. And Sorry, but that matters. I'm not going to listen to somebody who, uh, you know, isn't considered a mass monster, even in his own class, and tell me how to put on muscle. So I'm sorry, but that's my opinion. And also the science kind of cites the same thing. I mean, how can you gain muscle if you're not in a surplus? Yes, you're going to gain fat. That's the whole reason we have uh, off season or a bulking period where it's okay if you get a little sloppy. It's, you know, it's great if you want to be shredded all the time. And, you know, if you're one of these people that just can't consume a calorie that's not counted for, that's fucking great. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to put on as much muscle as possible. My pur- purpose is not to look great on Instagram and to impress the fucking chick at the gym and, all this other shit. My purpose is that when I get on stage uh, eight months later, six months later, a year later from whenever I got off stage the last time, which in my case is three years now, the, the goal is to put on as much, as much muscle as possible. And if it means I have to be in a surplus to do that, then I don't give a shit what Greg Doucette or the science says. The fact of the matter is, if you try and walk a line and stay shredded all year round, and I don't walk that line, and I fucking eat a surplus of calories all year, I guarantee you I'm going to be bigger at the end of the year, assuming everything else is even. Assuming our training is even, our stacks are even, our supplements are even, our sleep and rest is even. Assuming everything is even, I'm telling you, if I'm eating a surplus of calories, my muscle is going to recover and grow faster than than those people who are trying to walk that line and stay shredded every day. Now, bulking doesn't mean getting fat. You're going to gain, but being in a surplus means you are going to get gain some fat. That's just the way it goes. If you want to put on a lot of muscle quickly, that's the way it goes. Estra DeLucas says, how should you approach a long bulk two to three years to not get too fat? Are mini cuts maybe one to two times a year a good way to go, or will they just slow down your progress? Um. I've never really had a long bulk of two to three years. This current one that I'm on, I actually had two diet phases in it because I thought I was going to compete and then I got injured. Uh, Usually my bulks only last a year max. And then I want to get on stage and and see what progress I've made. Now, if you do have a bulk that's two or three years long, um, I would suggest not many cuts, but just every two to three months backing off the calories a bit. If you cycle your calories through the entire thing, like you do carb cycling through your entire off season, you should never reach a point where you feel 
like you hit an appetite wall. Okay. But if you're going to overload the calories, which is also fine, every two, probably three months, I would say three months is probably better. You're going to want to cut those calories back for a week and let your body get hungry. Let your body kind of reset itself and then start over, back it off for a week or two, maybe two and start over. But I'm, I don't believe in this whole mini cut thing where I'm like, Oh, I got to get lean and then get back to it. No, you just got to like, let your body rest. Once it's rested, your appetite's going to come back. I have a client right now. Okay. We play with his diet every week. One week I'll add a bunch of fats. He'll come back the next week and he'll message me and say, appetite's still great. I'll be like, okay, let's keep going. Two weeks later, I'll ask me, oh, appetite kind of faded a bit. Okay, let's pull the fats back. Let's increase the carbs. You can play with your diet all year so that you don't have to reduce food at all. You can just keep playing with the diet so that uh, you keep yourself hungry. But even though I say that, we're still pulling calories back. It's just not for a long time. Like, for example, last week, we pulled, I pulled all his fats. He said to me, I can't eat. My appetite's gone. I'm like, okay, pull all of your fats from the diet. All the olive oil, all the avocado, all the peanut butter everything. Let's just pull all of it out. I want you to lower your salt intake, drop the carbs just a little bit and let yourself get hungry. Four days later, I get a message. I'm starving. I feel great. My appetite's through the roof. Okay. At this point now I can begin to reintroduce food, start upping the carbs a little bit, start upping the salt again. Let's increase the, the fats a little as we go. And he'll run that way for three or four weeks before he hits a wall again. So that's kind of how your off season is going to have to go, but you don't have to do a mini cut where you take like six or seven weeks and you just try and get lean. That's kind of, I feel like it's just wasting time. Diego Molinick says money, not being a factor. What would be your perfect three car garage? Tough one. I have to have a big ass truck. Okay. So either like my Yukon outside, but a lot bigger, maybe like a bigger lift bigger tires and all that because I wouldn't care about practicality. So either a big ass truck or a big ass like SUV, like a Yukon or an F-250, something like that, jacked up, big ass tires. That's one. Then I got to have a fucking really fast car. So probably a Ferrari LaFerrari. It's like one of my favorite supercars. Uh, and I think third, I want to have like a daily badass vehicle. So like a I'm going to say like a tough one. There's so many, probably like an Austin Martin, probably like a super Legera. Yeah. That'd be my daily, like <laughs> my grocery getter would be my Austin Martin, super, super Legera. You're only giving me three cars. So I had to pick, you know, that's all I got. I can't go. <laughs> I got so many more on the list, but that's probably the three I would pick. All right. American Oak says crunchy or creamy peanut butter. Interesting. In the off season, I am all about the creamy peanut butter because I'm not as hungry and I'm just looking for things that are easy to eat and get down. Right. But when I'm dieting, go with the crunchy peanut butter because I need to feel like it has more substance because I'm only getting like half a teaspoon. So if it's crunchy, it feels like it's a little bit harder to eat. takes a little longer. I don't know if that makes sense to you guys, but it's fucking my way my brain works. Sanderson fit. Can a natural bodybuilder train and diet exactly the same way as someone using gear? Yes, they can. In my opinion, they can. Uh, the only difference is this. You might have to take more rest days and you might have to, or maybe not more rest days, but you might have to have a little less volume in your workouts because it's all going to depend on recovery. There's nothing the main aspect to using enhanced to in, being enhanced or using performance enhancing drugs is the ability to recover. Yes. They make you a little stronger. Yes. They make the muscle look a little fuller, but the ability to train like an animal and not have your body break down is the main component that I think we all love about it because we can just push our bodies past the limit and have them keep recovering and keep growing um, which is something that you couldn't do if you're natural. You'd have to beat the shit out of your body one day and then kind of take a break and maybe take it easy the next week. So you might have to cycle your training. So you're not going to, you're right. You're not going to train exactly the same. You can do the same movements, but I, I, 
I believe that a natural athlete will break down faster and sooner than a enhanced athlete. So the volume would have to be less. They'd have to incorporate more rest days or they would have to cycle their training where they would go uh, really heavy one week, moderate weight the next week. And then they can go back to heavyweight like a week after that, or they can do two weeks of moderate, one week of heavy, whatever you want to do, or two weeks heavy and then one week moderate. So they give their body a break that week. Um, but you, I definitely don't think you'll be able to keep up um, because like I said, my body will just recover a lot faster than a natural athlete and uh, they're going to run into problems with soreness and achiness and just their body breaking down over training over, over a period of time. Wesley Vissers. Is this the real, the real Wesley Vissers? I'm honored that you asked the question. Does your coach, John, change sodium and water intake days before the show? Well, this is a question for John, but I will field it. Um, no. We keep everything the same. That's what I love about John's approach. It takes all the guesswork out of it, and it takes the insanity and anxiety out of it because – he said this to me last time, the last, the last real, really good prep we had, he said to me on the Monday before the show, we're not going to change anything. And I said, what? And he goes, we're not going to change anything. You're going to do this diet until Saturday. I'm just going to add 50 carbs a day. And I was only eating like 50 at the time. I'm like, John, that's going to put us at like 300 grams by Friday. It's, I don't think I'm going to fill. He's like, don't worry. Just do what I tell you. Sure as shit, man. He was right. I filled nice and slow the whole week. We didn't change salt. We didn't change water. I actually kept drinking all day Friday. We took a dieter's tea the Friday night, which if you guys, for you guys that don't know, it's uh, the main ingredient is Senna, S-E-N-N-A. And that ingredient basically makes you go to the bathroom. So it basically empties you out. So you wake up in the morning drier, so you don't have to take a diuretic. The thing is, it dries you out from your stomach, which dries out your skin a little bit, but doesn't pull, doesn't seem to pull enough to pull from the muscle. So you wake up feeling drier, but not flat. And the be other benefit for someone like me is when I carb load, my waist seems to get thicker. So by using that technique, we're able to keep my waist down for those shows and I was able to win. So yeah, he keeps everything the same water. Uh, sodium. I think we reduced water a little bit on the Friday, but I even, I was still sipping on Saturday. Now, I don't know how he does it. I don't do that with my clients, but that's John's method. And, and I believe he's the best. Renzo Alenik says on off days while bulking, do you eat less or different macros like lower carbs, higher protein? Uh, yeah, but I kind of do something different than other people. And I don't know if this is wrong, but it's always been my way. On my off days, I eat more. And the reason that is, see, most people think, well, it's my off day. I'm not training. So I probably shouldn't eat as much because I'm not going to expend the energy at the gym. And I don't want to get fat. But for me, I don't care about getting fat. So I see the day off as a day to restore all my glycogen. So in my head, I'm like, okay, I did some cardio in the morning. Now I'm going to be sitting here all day long. I might be running some errands here and there, but I'm not going to do anything active. Now is my chance to eat a fuck load of food and refill for the next day. That's why my hardest days are usually after a day off. So my leg days are always after a day off and my back days usually always after a day off or chest, something like that. But I always have a big body part after a day off because I refuel hard on my days off and then when I get in the next day I'm like raring to go like my body's real full and I'm, everything's on fire so it's a little I think it's the opposite answer you were looking for because I think a lot of people the common uh, theme nowadays is well I'm not training so I'm not going to be expending energy so I'm going to lower my carbs that day I'm going to increase my fats a little and I'm just going to take it easy I'm not going to gain any fat I say fuck that I say that's the day when you're sitting there and your body's going to soak up all those nutrients. Eat, eat. Like I'll eat, I'll eat like a bag of pasta for a meal and like I just go off. Like sometimes for the longest time, my cheat meal was on my off days because I wanted to feel as full as possible the next day when I got to the gym. So 
That's just my technique. Carl Welsh Stevens says, do you think people can call themselves a bodybuilder even if they have never or will never compete? Uh, yeah, I do. I used to think differently. I used to think if you weren't being paid, you weren't a bodybuilder. But that's fucking bullshit. That's a really immature uh, way to look at things because there's a lot of people that work nine to five jobs. Like I know people that work at Chrysler's or they work at a tool and dye shop or whatever, and they're fucking sweating it out and they're killing it, but they still go to the gym and they bust their fucking ass. They're still go to the gym and they bust their ass and they're trying to build muscle and they're trying to look good and they don't care about competing. They don't want to get on stage in a pair of fucking underwear and oil themselves up and all that shit. A lot of people don't have that kind of personality. So it doesn't mean just because you donned a pair of fucking underwear painted yourself with a fucking roller and smothered yourself in oil. You're any more of a bodybuilder than the guy who's just in the gym in a pair of sweatshirt, a pair of sweatpants and a fucking sweatshirt crushing it every day. Being a bodybuilder is something I've realized after a long time that is comes from within. It's not, it doesn't come from getting accolades. It doesn't come from anybody's pat on the back. It doesn't come from anybody's recognition. It doesn't mean if you win the Olympia, you're the ultimate bodybuilder. It means you're the best competitive bodybuilder, but it does not mean that you are any more of a bodybuilder than the guy that goes to the gym at five in the morning before work and just fucking loves to sweat it out and grunt it out and fucking feel pain. So there are different degrees of bodybuilder because of the effort that people put in but I don't believe that getting on a stage versus not getting on a stage makes you any more or less of a bodybuilder. The, the term for that is a competitive bodybuilder. I can say I'm a competitive bodybuilder and if you don't compete, you can't say that, but we can both be bodybuilders. Even if you don't get on stage at that point, it comes to what degree, what level of effort do I put in versus what level of effort do you put in? And if we put in the same level of effort, then it doesn't matter if I'm getting paid or I get on stage and you don't, we're still the same bodybuilder. Nathan Caniff says, what do you think of the UFC 241 card? Excited for Dustin Khabib. I will ask, keep asking UFC MMA related questions until they get through. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I knew there's a reason I picked this question. I thought it was funny that you're just being stubborn and persistent about it. Uh, I love the UFC. It's the only sport I watch. I used to watch hockey uh, for a really long time, like avidly. I used to collect cards. I watched football for a really long time. I loved it. Now I don't watch any sports except for UFC. And uh, I thought 241 card was fucking awesome. I was out of my seat like numerous times. I was a little bummed out for DC. I kind of want him to win and kind of ride off into the sun sunset as the champion. But uh, Diaz made up for it because I beat – uh, ben Chow, who is uh, Luke's training partner, for those of you who don't know, Luke Sandow's training partner. We had a bet. Uh, ben has to come on the podcast next week wearing a bonnet, like a baby bonnet around his head because he lost that bet because he bet on Pettis. So shows how much he knows. But anyways, I thought it was a great card. And um, I think Khabib's going to smash Dustin. I think Khabib is... Just send him location, man. Send location. Yar <laughs> uh, Cirque says, do you change the amount of calories in the off-season between being on-cycle and off-cycle? Um, yes. Uh, when I go off, I don't change them too much. I think more what I do is I start carb cycling more when I'm off because I don't want to get too fat, right? So you can't just keep pounding food, pounding food, pounding food because the gear does make a difference. So... I don't necessarily lessen the food a ton, but I have days where I lessen the food because one of the things I always tell people is this. If you go off, if you're on a cycle and you go off, when you go off the cycle, if you weigh 250 pounds, okay? Let's say you're bulking. You're the average guy. You weigh 230 pounds. You just went off a cycle. What I tell people is your goal should be to stay at 230 pounds, even if it makes you softer, to stay at 230 pounds until you get back on. Now, 
that's probably not going to happen. You're for sure going to probably flush out a bunch of water because as soon as the gear is out of your system, you're going to flush out some of the water weight that it makes you hold. But you want to stay as close to that number as possible. And this is the reason. When you go back on, you want to get, this is the thing. I'm sorry, I'm starting back from the beginning. So most guys, when people go off, they lose a lot of motivation. Their training starts to suck. They start missing meals and they lose a fuckload of weight. So a guy who's 230 will end up being 210 pounds. He's like, oh, fuck, I lost all my gains, man. It's because I'm off, blah, blah, blah. And he just rolls with the stereotype of once you get off the gear, you lose all your gains. Really, it's because he stopped training as hard and stopped focusing on his food because he's not as motivated because he's not on the gear. So what I try and tell people is you have to stay focused on everything 100% even when you're off because the goal should be to stay as close to that 230 pounds as possible so that when you go back on, you boost past 230. You want to use the, the, the restart on the new cycle as a boost to get you over the hurdle of 230 where you ended off. If you fucked off and your motivation dipped and then you started eating less and you started fucking training like shit and you went all the way to 210, when you get back on, you're going right back to 230 and you're going to fucking stay there. You're just, all you did was boost yourself back to where you were. So those of you who go off, yes, you want to lower your calories a little bit, but more try and carb cycle, but it's, it's, it's very important to try and stay close to that number where you, where you were when you went off so that you can jump past it when you get back on. Chad Belair says, would you ever consider opening your own gym? If so, what would be the focus of the gym? Uh, yeah, me and my training partner, Paul, almost opened a gym this summer, actually. We had an offer on one. Uh, the numbers didn't seem to work out properly. There was a whole bunch of liens on the building, blah, blah, blah. Long story, didn't pan out. If I ever open a gym, I think you're looking at a cross between, my favorite gym I've ever been to is Metroflex in Long Beach, okay? It has that Metroflex feel, but had a ton of equipment and, you know, cement floors, just rubber underneath some of the machines, rubber around the dumbbells. Um, lots of deadlift platforms, lots of squat platforms. Lots of old machines that I really like. It just had a gritty feel to it. In comparison, the other gym I love is Pure Muscle and Fitness. You know, Dorian's a good friend of mine. Uh, Dorian Hamilton. Dorian opened the gym. It's a beautiful gym. It's very clean. State-of-the-art equipment. It's, it's actually pretty amazing. You know, you can tell a bodybuilder built it. You know, a bodybuilder picked the equipment. A bodybuilder put together what he wanted. But I like the emotion... And this isn't Dorian's style, it's my style, but I like the grittiness of like some murals on the wall and like just some, you know, chalk everywhere and just a little bit dirtier place, a place that kind of makes you feel like you're there to work, you know, you're kind of going to war. That's probably what I want one day, something a little bit, just something more that represents me, something real hard. Uh, but we'll see when the time comes. Maybe that's not what we'll end up being. But uh, one day I plan on opening a gym. We'll see if it's a studio or a gym or whatever. But one day we'll see what happens. Tight B says, how big a role does gear play in getting huge? Obviously food and training are the most important. But is it like, is it like supplements where it's like 5% of the difference or much bigger deal? You know, this whole thing where people are like, food is 80% and training is 20% and fucking blah, blah, blah percent. I don't like to do it that way, man. It's like nothing works without the other thing. Okay. That's all there's to it. It's more like a puzzle and every piece plays a role and every piece is needed. You can't, listen, you can get big without gear. Uh, you can get big without supplements. I can get bigger with supplements and I can get even bigger with gear. So it depends what you're talking about. Are we trying to get as big as fucking open pro bodybuilders? Then yeah, you need gear and it's going to play uh, as important a part as food or training or supplements or rest or any of the other components. They're all 
pieces of a puzzle that have to fit together. And if you don't have a piece of that puzzle, you're not going to get to where you want to be. So now if you're just talking about being bigger than the average guy, yeah, you can do that naturally. You can probably do it with just food and training. Those are the bedrock pieces of the equation. You need food and training and rest. Okay, those are the, now, every time you want to go up a notch, you need to figure out how. Your food, training, and rest are going to take you here. Your supplements are going to take you here. Your gear is going to take you here. Like Every time you add a new component, it's going to make you better, right? If you trained... If you just trained and your sleep was shit and your food was shit, you would still be here. Then when you start to sleep better, you'll be here. Then when you start getting your fucking diet right, you're going to be here. Again, it's all important and they're all pieces of a puzzle. And it just depends how high you want to go on that, on that bar. If you want to be at the very top, you need, you need every piece of that puzzle or else you're not going to be at that top rung. Kai Daly says, do you think it's possible to build quality muscle tissue on a keto style diet with higher protein as long as you're in a surplus of calories? Yes, I have seen a study that shows even on a normal keto diet in a surplus of calories, not without a higher, not with a higher amount of protein, but in a surplus does build muscle. Um, Are you going to build as much muscle as a pro open pro bodybuilder? Probably not. Are your workouts going to feel as amazing as if you were taking in a bunch of branch chain or a bunch of, uh, you know, cluster dextrin and different carb powders while you're training or just eating like a bunch of carbs in your diet? I've done the keto thing. I tried it for six weeks. Um, I did look better um, in fat content wise. My blood work got better, but my muscles looked kind of droopy and my more importantly than that was my fun factor in the gym was gone. I just didn't really have that burst of energy when I want to call on it, you know, that burst of, and I don't mean energy like, Oh, I'm wide awake. I mean, energy like that push, you know, when you're squatting like six plates or I didn't have that explosive power that I wanted. So I think if you're trying to be, if you're trying to build a maximal amount of muscle, I think it's important that you have, my personal opinion is important. It's important to have carbs in your diet. Personally, it's what I think. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't build muscle without it. It's just my opinion of what may feel better. JM Pow says, top five fast food places you like to go to. Tough one. I'm a fat kid at heart. I'm going to say just because of the frequency, McDonald's is first. I'm going to say McDonald's is first. Five guys is second. Does pizza count as fast food? I might say pizza is second if it, if it counts as fast food. Um, if it doesn't, then I'll say five guys is second. Burger King is third. Subway is fourth. Subway might be third. Burger King's fourth. Dairy Queen is fifth. That's pretty much the way it goes. Got to have a fucking Dairy Queen in there. In there. El Taco 86 says, fasted cardio in the off season. Should it be done daily or less? Um, look, man, I personally think I don't do cardio in the morning uh, on leg days. I wake up and I have breakfast and I rest and I get ready for my leg day. I don't want to burn glycogen out of my legs before I go to train legs. Um, I usually do cardio five days a week in the off season. Uh, And my reason being not necessarily as much for fat loss. It just gets my day started right. Gets me mentally focused, gets me on a proper schedule. Uh, And the benefit also is I'm going to burn a little fat and it's going to be help my health and help my appetite. But it's more the other things like it's keeps me mentally focused, gets me on track, gets my day started right, gets gives me a reason to get out of bed in the morning and and look forward to something other than just getting up and eating and fucking sitting around on the computer. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I hope that answers your question. I mean, I don't think it would hurt you to do it every day. I don't think you should do it on leg day. Um, 
but yeah, you, you could do it every day if you want to, except for leg day. I think that's the only day I would take off. One Neil 412 Scott says, thoughts on SARMs. SARMs to me are uh, an in-between drug. Personally, this, this is how I feel. If you are on a cycle and you go off and you want to bridge without actually taking any gear, I think that's where SARMs play the best role. I think I don't feel it's necessary to take SARMs while you're on performance-enhancing drugs uh, like anabolics or GH or anything like that. I don't feel like SARMs compare. I know all the literature says they'll do this and they'll do that, and it's the miracle of this and the miracle of that, and bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. If you've ever done a proper cycle, you'll know that SARMs are not the same thing. Um, so anybody out there who's trying to sell you as the same as, Oh, they're the same. They do the same thing. And this is a way to do gear without being on gear. And it's bullshit. It's not the same thing. And anybody else who's trying to sell you on the fact that you should do SARMs with your cycle. Cause it'll enhance the cycle. And okay, maybe, maybe like, I don't know. I, I don't, I personally don't think so. I didn't notice a difference. Uh, and I know a lot of, a lot of coaches may say that, but I don't, I don't personally see a difference myself. I feel like it's just a waste of fucking money. I think once you cross over to the dark side, you cross over to the dark side. Now, if you haven't crossed over to the dark side, but you want to try and kind of toy around, SARMs are the way to go. They'll give you kind of an idea of what it feels like a little bit, and then you can uh, decide if you want to go further. But they do something. They just, I'm, I'm just letting you guys know they're not. Because what I see is, what the literature I see is it's just like this, or it's just like that, or it's just like Anavar. It's just like, and it's not, it's to me, to me, I just don't think it is. Faz lifts says thoughts on instinctive training versus plan training. Good question. So instinctive training personally to me became popular when I heard Rich Piana talk about it. And I thought, Hey, that's a novel idea. Why don't you just train what feels good that day? So I tried it for a little while. I'm like, today I feel like training legs. Okay, I train legs. Two days ago by, I feel like training legs again. So I would train hamstrings. Two days ago by, I think I can train quads again. I train quads. It just got... Part of the biggest problem of it, of it was not that I was training body parts too closely together. The biggest problem was I was skipping rest days. Because it wasn't planned. So I was like, my rest day would come around. I'm like, well, instinctively, I feel like I could go to the gym. But really, it's like, I always feel I can go to the gym. But you need to fucking force yourself. If you're, if you're a meathead like me, you need to force yourself to take a break. Right? Because I always want to be in the gym. Every day I want to go to the gym. Until I'm totally burned out, I want to go to the gym. So if I'm overtrained, I will finally say, I need a day off. I, I just don't want to go today. But that takes a long time. So if you train instinctively and you're one of those people, you're going to burn yourself out because that's what happened to me. So this year, after my tricep tear, I promised myself I would go back to proper splits with proper days off and I would force myself, no matter how good on the day off I felt, I would take like tomorrow's a day off. I'm dreading it. I know I'm going to wake up. I know I want to go to the gym already. I know I'm going to be like, fuck, I got to stay home. But I'm going to force myself to stay home because I think most of my injuries have come from overtraining. So long answer short. uh, Yeah. I think plan training is the way to go. Make a good plan and stick to it and see how it works. After two, three months, evaluate. If it's no good, change the plan. But I think you have to have a plan. Z Blackerby says, how do you go about setting realistic goals? Any tips regarding accountability? Um, have a good training partner that doesn't bullshit you and, and doesn't try and blow smoke up your ass. That's for accountability. I got a training partner that will look at me even when I look good and be like, you look like shit. You look like shit. Honestly, your fucking arms are not big enough to be on a pro stage. Your calves look like fucking sticks and your waist is way too wide. He will fucking say that to me. And I think it's important to have that. And if you don't have that, you have to be able to be honest with yourself because you always want to tell yourself good things. So 
you have to be able to look in the mirror and go, wow, you know what? I could use this. I could use some of that. And you have to be able to dissect your physique. Now, the other way to be accountable is photos. Take a lot of photos. Take photos every week. Compare them to the week before. Okay, this week I'm a little fatter. Okay, I probably have to reduce the diet a bit. This week I'm a little smaller. Okay, maybe I wasn't eating enough food. Um, my biceps don't look any bigger. Maybe I need to change my arm workout. It's been eight weeks. They still look the same size. Okay, maybe I need to figure something out. These are ways to keep yourself accountable. Um, having a coach. Pay a coach. He will let you know. If you have a good coach, your coach will let you know. Look, you've made no progress. You suck. You need to work harder. A good coach will say that to you. So that's one way to go for accountability. Now, how do you go about setting realistic goals? It goes back to honesty. A lot of people don't want to be honest with themselves. Okay. They, they, it hurts their feelings. I can look at my body in the fucking mirror without bashing myself, but objectively look at it like a judge would look at it and say, okay, hamstrings need to drop a little bit more. Calves need to be a little bit bigger. Arms need to be be a little bit bigger. Back needs to drop. Lats need to drop a little bit more. Chest needs to fucking square off on the sides a bit. Shoulders need to cap a little bit. All these things need work. And on top of it all, and most importantly, you need to shrink your waist. That doesn't hurt my feelings. I can say that about myself honestly and go, okay, these, and then now I have a starting point. Okay. What am I going to do about it? Okay. Now you start setting goals. Okay. By next year, I want to have these things done. Okay. Work back from that. How do I do that? Okay. By the eighth month, my waist should be here. By the fourth month, my waist should be here. By two months from now, my waist should be here. By one month from now, my waist should be here. After one month, I measure. Is my waist smaller? No, it's not. Fuck. Okay, I have to work harder. I'm not doing enough vacuums. I'm eating too much food. I need to figure this out. Okay. So work back from your master goal. Whatever your master plan is, work back from there to the smallest increment and just start measuring at that increment, at those increments, just start measuring and make adjustments as you go. This is how you set goals. Don't set one goal a fucking year down the road and then go, oh, that's fucking way overwhelming. That's what people do. Guy's like 170 pounds. He's like, I want to be 250 pounds on stage. Does one show, realizes he's 150 pounds on stage and goes, I can't gain 100 pounds. It's going to take me 10 fucking years. Yeah, but you set a goal that's like, You know, that takes everybody 10 years. Don't set goals that are so far away, they're overwhelming. Have big dreams, set short-term goals. That's how you get to your big dreams. You have to have the short-term goals if you're going to get somewhere in life. You You can't just have one goal way the fuck down the road and have no plan to get there. Have big dreams, create a plan to reach them. Those are short-term increments, short-term goals that you can, because it's a confidence thing too. Every time you set a short-term goal and you reach it, it builds confidence. And then that feeling doesn't feel so overwhelming a year from now. Then you're like, oh, okay, I can, I can change things if I do this right. You'll hit the next goal. You'll be like, oh, fuck, you know what? I'm getting closer. You hit the next goal. Oh, fuck. You know what? I think I can turn pro. And then so on and so on and so on until you're like, okay, I'm driving a Ferrari. I fucking did it. See what I'm saying? So like short-term goals, long-term dreams, okay? Camila Bloomfit says, can you tell how, how to harden your gains? Some people cut and have soft muscles but are toned and others are massive and hard. What makes the difference? <laughs> It's just, okay, well, I'm sorry. Camila, you seem like a, maybe more of a beginner in the sport, and I'll just say this. The difference, some people have a really, really hard look and some people have a really soft look is because they're not, they still haven't dropped enough fat. So, but it depends on who you're talking about. So if you're talking about, say, a bikini girl versus how a bodybuilder looks. Now, they're both really lean, but a bikini girl has a softer look and a bodybuilder has a harder, harder look. Now, part of that is the bikini girl is carrying a little bit more body fat to make her body look softer because she will not win if she is as hard as the bodybuilder. Um, part of that is also the amount of supplements they're taking, the amount of gear they're taking, 
Uh, all these things will contribute to how hard the muscle looks. And most of all, in my opinion, their training. The way a bikini girl trains versus the way a pro bodybuilder is going to train are two totally different things. And I think the harder you train and the more he the heavier you train, the harder the muscle is going to look. Now, if you're talking about two bodybuilders standing side by side, and one looks lean but soft, and one looks really shredded and hard, the guy who's lean and still kind of soft still has five or 10 pounds to go. That's usually the problem. You see, you're seeing a guy who's almost there but not quite there, and you're seeing a guy who's there. If you're talking about two bodybuilders who are equally doing the same thing, they're trying to be in the same weight class, the same everything, but one guy's like soft looking and one guy's really hard, it is fat content. It could also be training. The guy who's really hard could be training, but it's most, it's just the fat content. The harder the guy on the left gets, the softer guy, the harder he gets, the more fat he loses, the harder he's going to look until all the fat is gone. He's not going to have that really hard look. Okay. Robbie Fine says, I lost over 155 pounds. I was over 420. I'm now 260. It has gotten so hard to drop any more weight. Do you think I should start, I should try a stack on some, try to stack on some muscle and try another diet in a few months? Okay, no, this is, see, this is a problem. You've dieted away a lot of weight. That's awesome. But you have to reach a point where you're like, okay, I don't want to lose weight anymore. Now I want to put on muscle. So you got to breathe. You got to find where your caloric intake is for the day and match it and let your body build muscle. Cause if you build muscle, you will start to burn more fat. The more muscle you build, the more calories you can take in every day. So if you don't change your calorie intake, right? As long as you're gaining muscle and getting harder, your body will increase that amount of calorie intake for the day. So let's say you're allowed to take in, you need to take in 3,500 calories a day to maintain your muscle amount and everything and with the workload you're taking in. If you eat 3,600 calories, you're in a small surplus, so it'll take you a long time, but you'll start to build muscle depending on the setup of your macros. You'll start to build muscle and as you build muscle, you will start that, those extra calories that you're allowed to take in now because you've built muscle will start to eat away at that fat content. Okay. You'll start to strip fat away because you've gained more muscle and your body is needs more calories. Okay. So that's my opinion on how to go about it. I don't think you should just keep dieting. Don't just keep dieting, keep dieting, keep dieting and don't bulk for a little bit and then just keep dieting, keep dieting. No, just find a, a diet that fits what you need for the day increase it slightly and let the muscle catch up to your body. Build the muscle into your weight is what I'm trying to say. Zan Ribic says at your all time best, how would you place in the 2019 Mr. Olympia? Interesting. My all time best is probably 2015 Orlando. I think I would be in the top 10. I think I would be in the top 10. I think the 2015 Orlando version of me could compete with uh, De La Rosa, could compete with, I think I could be, compete with Luke. Um, I think I could compete with uh, Kuklo, uh, Juan Morel. Now, I'm not saying I could beat all those people, but I think I could be in a call out with them. Whether I beat them or not, I don't know. But what I'm saying is I think I belong, uh, maybe not now, but I think at my best, I would, would have belonged in that group. Um, whether they think so or not, I'd be interested to find out. I'd be interested to see what they think. But um, at my best, I definitely see myself in the top 10. Not where in the top 10, I don't know. Maybe 10th, but I don't know. But somewhere in there. Connor Ogden says, at the end of a bulk, should you try and maintain your new weight for a certain period of time and let your body get used to it or start go right into a cut? Uh, it depends. If you just start increasing weight, increasing weight, increasing weight, you went from 210, 220, 230, 240, and then you just decide to cut, you're going to lose all that weight. If, if that's what you're saying. I think you need to stay at, you need to increase that weight, 10, 220, 210, 220, 230, 240. 
and you just sit at 240 for a little while. Okay. If you can keep gaining, that's great. But my point is wherever you start to plateau, let's say it's 240, you start to plateau and you're just gaining a pound here, a pound there. You may get up to 245, 246. I think the longer you can stay at that weight, the harder you can get at that weight. Like it's not just about staying at that weight and staying soft. You need to try and build muscle at that weight so you can grow into the weight. And I don't know the scientific term behind it, but yes, the longer you stay at that weight, the more likely you are to hold on to that muscle when you start to cut. Because I have seen guys go, oh man, I'm just going to put on a ton of weight. And they go right up to 270, 280, 290, and then they get into a cutting phase and they go all the way back to 230. But then I have seen in my own off seasons where I've gotten up to 290 and stayed there and I was a lot bigger came come stage time so I know holding weight for a long period of time and getting leaner at that weight is the way to do it Kesbra says thoughts on taking gear with previous organ failure I think it's a horrible mistake um I think if you've had an organ failure of any kind, that was your warning and you uh, shouldn't fucking play with fire. So, you know, we're all doing this because we know the risks and we're taking chances with this and that. And we're trying to be careful by getting blood work done. And, but if you're, if you've already had an organ failure and you're still alive and you're still health and you're still living and you're still able to, have a, a normal life, you should count your blessings and not fuck with it anymore. Just my two cents. Gomez114 says, is cardio after weights effective? Does cardio after a weight affect the gains? Um, if you can separate it, it's better. Like I like to do my cardio in the morning, then I'll go back and do weights at night. If you have like a full-time job and you can't do that and you want to do it all together, it's fine. But what I suggest is uh, try and drink an intra-workout with some form of essential aminos in it. Because if you're drinking an intra-workout with essential aminos, when you're done training, your body has some amino acids kind of flowing through your body and it's going to stave off your catabolism, right? So you're going to have an anti-catabolic effect from your intra-workout which will allow you to get into your cardio and not worry about burning a bunch of muscle off. The other thing you can do is take your intra workout. And if you want to be extra safe, you can have a scoop or two of essential aminos with you in a shaker cup and drink that during your cardio. Then you're for sure kind of feeding the muscle while you're still trying to burn fat. Bilal Hamid says, anadrol killing my appetite, even though I'm he- even though I'm a heavy hitter, a heavy eater, should I discontinue it or endure the next two weeks? Um, If you're eating, then endure it. But if, if it's messing up your meals in any way, like if you're missing meals, even if you're missing one meal a day, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. There's other, other compounds, there's other ways to do it where you can keep eating and keep growing and not have to worry about it and not be uncomfortable and not be nauseous. Anadrol is not the be-all, end-all of anabolics, and there's no need to uh, cause yourself any anguish uh, when you don't have to. Old Boy Blue says, Fuad Abiyad, what are your thoughts on smoking weed and training? I don't do it. I've never done it, but I know a lot of people who have. I don't say a lot of people. I know some people who do and who have, and they swear by it. So I don't know. All I have to say is this train without it and train with it, whichever one's better. Fucking do that. I don't know. It, listen, I used to be a lot more um, hard about rules like this. Oh no, you can't smoke weed. That's really bad for you. You just, you should go in and be focused and listen, that's some, that's some, for some people. That's the way they focus. Some people focus harder when they smoke a joint. So if it helps you focus, if it helps you train better, then so be it. I mean, who am I to say, right? But if, it, if you only think it helps you train better, but it's not really, then you're just playing games with yourself. You need to be honest with yourself and train without it, like have a proper diet and proper everything. 
and, you know, take a pre-workout and go to the gym and train and see how your training is and then do the same thing and then smoke a joint. And if your training is better after smoking a joint, then who am I to say don't do it? I mean, people are going to do whatever helps them the most. Reed Felland says, how do you approach volume and training? In other words, what is your person, what is your personal definition of volume in the gym? Should, I'm sorry, this is written a little weird. Uh, should we be switching between low and high, etc.? Um, yeah, I think I do train with a lot of volume, a bigger body parts get more volume. So for example, like legs get 20 sets back and chest may get 16, uh, shoulders, 12 arms, nine. Uh, those aren't all working sets either. Maybe 50% of those are working sets. Maybe 75% are working sets. Um, but the point of it is, however your volume training is set up, I do think that every two to three months, if you scale back to a low volume heavy weight, because I do that sometimes, I'll scale back to a, a less sets, you know, two sets, three sets per exercise max, um, reduced the total number of sets per workout, and also reduced the reps from like the normal eight to 10 to 12 to uh, five to seven. So I do that for about a month. It helps me gain some strength. It gives my body a rest from all the overtraining, all the crazy volume. And then I go back. So yeah, I do think um, spurts of low volume heavyweight training can help your overall program for the year. Jimmy R1287 says, what do you think about loxygen in? Um, what did I read about that? You know what? I don't know. I, I had just read about this just the other day. Let me just see real quick. No, it's, you know what? It lost my, it, it's, uh, skipped my mind. I, I don't, I don't know. I have to look it up again. I know it's an ingredient that's popular in supplements right now. I believe it has to do with recovery and protein synthesis. Um, I know a lot of like post-workout formulas are using it and stuff like that. And I think if that's, if that's the one I'm recalling, yeah, I mean, new ingredients are always coming up. And as long as there's studies to show, look, anybody can make a claim about an ingredient that does this and does that, whatever. But if, as long as there's any claims or studies to show the claims behind it, um, yeah, I'm all for trying new stuff. I mean, who doesn't want faster recovery and better protein synthesis and all that? I mean, that's the bedrock of, of what we're doing. So if it does what it claims to do, then yeah, I would look for it in, 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 uh, supplement formulas for sure. Anili223 says, if you could be in business partners with anybody and start a business, who would it be? Why would you pick them? And what business would you have to start it together? Trick question. Tough question. Um, I like starting things from scratch. I would go into business with my wife because she's a fucking animal when it comes to work. I don't, I don't know anybody who works harder. Um, it might cause problems at home because we butt heads a lot, but I think, um, I can't count on anybody to work harder than her for sure and be more meticulous about shit. Uh, and my training partner, Paul, because he's very loyal, very honest and will tell me if something's shit or not. And I can count on him for that. Yeah. Um, those two people I would go into business with for sure. A lot of it has to do with honesty and loyalty to me. Like I think, people have their qualities and there's lots of people with lots of great qualities, but I think a lot of it has to do with who can I trust and who is loyal to me and to what I'm doing and what I want to do and who believes in what I want to do the way I do. And, uh, I don't think very many people share, um, like there's a reason I have a very few inner circle friends and it's because, 
I see things a certain way. Paul sees them that way. My wife sees them that way. Um, yeah, there's not very many people I would, my brother, my brother's a very, uh, good businessman. He, he runs a few businesses now. And, um, again, trust, honesty, loyalty, same thing. It's just, just goes a long way for me. Ontario muscle says, do you really have to sleep on the couch from time to time? I can't picture that. It's not a fucking pretty sight. It's like, uh, it's like a fucking bear sleeping on a fucking cot. <laughs> it's no, I got an over oversized couch, so I'm okay. But I actually think I bought the oversized couch on purpose, knowing I had to have to sleep on the couch from time to time. But just to clarify things, I don't ever have to sleep on the couch. My wife's not like that. We do bicker though. And sometimes I'm just like, fuck it. I'm going to sleep on the couch. This is the way it is. And if you're, if your household doesn't have that, then God bless you. But I'm pretty sure the majority of households have a couch that's been slept on from time to time. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it happens. I'm not just making it up for the podcast or for anything just for laughs. It's part of life, man. It, I mean, look, anybody who doesn't fight with their wife and uh, bicker with their wife or have the odd fucking thing here or there, like I said, that's great. But I think those relationships are few and far between. I know a lot of people in a lot of great relationships, they fight, they bicker, they whatever. I mean, if you're, if you're with somebody for long enough, it's going to happen. So yeah, um, just make sure you buy a big enough couch that it feels like you're sleeping in bed. <laughs> Roshana Ruprai says, how do I save money while bulking? Potatoes, tuna, ground beef, dark meat, chicken, rice. They're the fucking cheapest foods. If you can, you can buy like a 10 pound bag of rice for like 20 bucks. It's not going to be the best rice in the world. It's not going to be like sushi rice. It's not going to taste amazing, but this is, you know what? I'm going to start making videos about the foods I used to eat when I was coming up. I used to make like tuna and potatoes all the time. Okay. Cheapest meal you could get. And, uh, it's just stuff like that. You just have to get creative with, foods that are bodybuilding friendly and they're not expensive. Like I said, tuna, potatoes, dark meat, chicken is awesome. Have you ever had like, like chicken thighs on the barbecue? One of my favorite things. And you can get like a whole pack of chicken thighs at Costco for nothing compared to the chicken breast. So just get away from like the, if you're trying to eat chicken breast every day, you're going to go broke. So get into like the ground beefs, the tunas, the dark meat, chicken, you know, some protein powders, but then again, if you're getting cheap protein powders, they're probably not going to digest well anyway. So, um, those are your sources, man. Eggs, you can get, you can get eggs pretty cheap, I think. So that's what I would look for. Just look for cheap protein sources. And then carbs are even cheaper, like rice and potatoes. I mean, go to a farmer's market. You can find potatoes for nothing. You know what I mean? So there's, there's ways around it. Dajus says, if you're not living in Canada, what city and gym would you want to make your home base? Money, not a factor. I really like California. I like Northern California. Um, I like the gyms in California. I love it out there. It's just the weather's great. The fucking gyms are great. The atmosphere is great. I just, Yeah. Somewhere in Northern California is where I would live. I'm sure I'd find a gym anywhere. Um, or Texas. I really like Dallas. Uh, it's a beautiful city. And, and I'd like, believe it or not, even though I'm not like a far righty and a more like center, maybe center left, I love Texas culture. And I think it's great. And I could definitely live out there. And I know there's a ton of gyms out there I could train at. So. Yeah, Texas or California, which is crazy because they're so different. But I don't know. I just I find both feel like home. Uh, Jay Galvin Fit says, "What do you think about doing juice cleanses?" I don't really believe in that. Uh, depends if you have. Let's just separate it this way. 
if you have some type of ailment that you're trying to fix, then yes, a juice cleanse can be beneficial. It's probably going to be predominantly vegetables. Um, if you don't have any ailments and you're just like trying to reset your body, I would just do a green juice in the morning um, just to get the extra vitamins and eat really clean and lower your total food amount and your body will cleanse itself. Uh, like I said, if you don't have an ailment of any kind, I, I don't see the need for juice cleanses. You just have to mind your food. If you just honestly, if you just eat really, really, really clean food, like totally not processed food, just chicken, rice, steak, lean foods, you know, not shit. That scared the fuck out of me. Um, natural foods, uh, healthy fats, lower your carbs. Don't eat any simple sugars or any shit like that. Um, your body will naturally cleanse itself and, uh, you don't need to do juice cleanses and stuff like that in my opinion. Okay. We're hit the hour mark. I'm going to take one or two more just so we can, I can wrap this up. Jaden Snyder says one meal for the rest of your life. What is it? And he also says salmon skin on or off. <laughs> First of all, I'm going to say salmon skin off. Cause I only eat salmon in the form of sushi. So the skin has to be off. Um, one meal for the rest of my life would have to be pasta with meat sauce. It's gotta be the, gotta be the go-to. Um, Let's see. I'll take one more. Whoopinkoff says, if you have to go to an event with food, how do you eat at the event and throughout the day when bulking? Well, if you're bulking, it's really simple. I'm just going to eat all the food I normally eat. And when I go to the event, I'm going to eat whatever food they have there, especially a wedding. If you go to a wedding, there's always either like roast beef and pasta or chicken and pasta or something like that. You're golden. Just have a couple extra pieces of chicken, a couple extra bowls of pasta, you're bulking anyway. That's a very, very simple solution. Okay, definitely last one. Art by Thomas Foley says, what are the most important supplements and why? Pre-workout, number one. Why? Because I like to be focused, energetic, and I like to have all the tools I need to have a good workout in my body when I get there. So I want to be ready to have a good pump. I want my body fueled up to have a pump. I want my body fueled up and ready for a long workout. So I want the endurance factor. I want, so it's the pump factor, the endurance factor. And then I want my mind to be clear and alert. I don't want to be tired. So you want the focus to come out of it as well. So pre-workout first. Uh, second, I would say amino acids or intra-workouts, depending on how serious you are about bodybuilding. If you're not crazy, like bulking all the time and trying to build maximum amount of muscle and you want to be like a, uh, open pro bodybuilder, or if you don't want to compete, let's just say you want to build some muscle, then I would say essential amino acids are probably your second most important. If you're trying to build a maximum amount of muscle, whether you're a physique competitor, classic competitor, open pro bodybuilder, or if you're just a guy on the street who wants to be fucking huge. I say intra-workout is the second best, depending on what's in it. So you want to have an intra-workout that has aminos in it. You want to have an intra-workout that has a little bit of carbs in it. You want to have an intra-workout that has kind of everything that's going to keep your workout going and keep you strong through a long work, like through a long leg workout. You know what I'm saying? Those are probably two most important. The third, I would have to say is protein powder. Protein powder is my go-to for third because there's some days where I just don't want to eat six whole food meals. So, or especially like, okay, so I'll use it in two ways. Post-workout, sometimes I'm not hungry after my workout, but I got to get a meal in. So I'll have a shake and some oatmeal with some fruit maybe or something like that. Um, or there's some days where I just don't feel like eating six whole food meals. So let's say I've eaten four meals and my fifth meal is supposed to be whatever it is and I don't feel like eating it. I don't want to skip the meal. So I'll have a shake and some rice cakes or again, some shake, a shake and some oatmeal and peanut butter or something. Uh, so I feel like protein powder plays a real role because it's a good supplement for when you're not hungry or you're just not able to get the level of protein you need in for the day. 
the problem arises with protein powders when people are just taking it all the time. You know, if you're having like three shakes a day or four shakes a day on the regular, then it, you just kind of, you know, it's a little absurd. You're just taking it overboard. It's a supplement. It's not supposed to be your base. So two shakes a day max is what I would recommend. I have done three before in contest diets, but two shakes a day is what I recommend on a regular basis. One shake a day is probably best. Um, so yeah, those are my three favorite supplements and the rest, they have their place. But like if you're working on a budget, then those three are, are those, those are your go-tos. Okay, guys, that's going to wrap up Q and a number seven. Uh, I appreciate you guys, appreciate you guys sticking around and listening. I appreciate uh, all the feedback I've been getting. The podcast is doing well. I'm glad you guys are liking it. And uh, check out hostile.com for any new merchandise coming out. We have some cool stuff coming out and uh, I'm excited to show you guys. So uh, until next time, that's hostile Q&A number seven. We'll see you guys get huge motherfuckers.